Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. When someone asks a real question, they're open to any possible answer. But a lot of times when people ask questions, what they're doing is they're, they've already decided what the answer is and they're just trying to get your confirmation of it. And you can hear that. And that's a really great example of a question that you absolutely should not answer. Hi, it's Joseph. And thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Who's the least intelligent person you know? I bet someone immediately came to mind. It might even be someone you work with or manage. But when I look around the world, when I see people who often make excuses or don't think critically, I don't see a lack of intelligence. I see a lack of curiosity. You can have the best shovel in the world, but if you don't have any desire to dig a hole, then it doesn't really matter. So today we begin a four-part series exploring the critical importance of curiosity, how you can approach life with real curiosity, and how you can help the people you manage to do the same. This conversation is an excerpt from the final session of the Clear Thinking course. If you want to take the extra time at home you have these days as an opportunity to start living more intentionally, more intelligently, more curiously, You can find the full 11-week coaching seminar at courses.clearandopen.com. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, All you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. So I have a question about what to do when you hear the excuses and how to handle. Like, do you take care of the person? Never. (laughs) Um, that's not your job ever unless they're a child and your child but beside that's probably not your responsibility what is your thought process when you hear people um, make the excuses and how do you what kind of direction do you go in with that what do you really want to know just the whole I guess scene uh, scenario just different options well it depends on what your role is with them right Mm-hmm. If that person reports to you or you're their mentor in some way, you have a whole different set of responsibilities than if that person is your spouse, for example. And it's a question of jurisdiction too, because you don't have jurisdiction to call the grocery store checkout clerk on their excuses. There's no agreement there. Right? So you've probably had this experience when you violate in, in coaching what's called jurisdiction. Which I think is self-explanatory. When you violate jurisdiction, what happens? Oh, it gets uncomfortable. Oh, at least. <laughs> it, at least. But it already may be that. What happens when you essentially coach someone 
when there's no agreement to do that. They shut down. Yeah. They shut down. They get defensive. They don't listen. It's sort of like, you know, imagine uh, if a doctor saw like some skin lesions on someone's face and went up to them in a grocery store and said, you know what? I think, you know, you have tuberculosis or whatever, you know, they'd be like, what? Get out of my face. Right. Oh my gosh. And then the person's like, well, but I'm a doctor. Like, well, so they might listen, but there'd be a contraction, right? The, The initial response would be a no. So that's the first thing is what, if you notice an excuse, what is the jurisdiction that you have? What is the responsibility that you have or do not? What's the listening? So to put it into the context, mm-hmm. content, <laughs> not sure. Um, I'm going to so be, asking- by the way, Rebecca, it's because you're working on confusion, what you're going to be experiencing for me is relentless demand for clarity. So okay. here's a window into my world. You asked a question just, just a moment ago. And in the past, I would have just started talking and seen how it landed to see if it would answer your question. Because your, answer, your question wasn't very clear, right? You see that now? It was sort of like a what are your thoughts on question. Which mm-hmm. for... Which most of the time I won't answer that question because it's, 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 it doesn't tell me what to say. I don't know how to answer it. So with, in some cases, I'll, I'll sort of, uh, I'll go with that and make a guess and give it a shot. But with you, because you now see the confusion <laughs> dynamic that a part of you runs, I will no longer feed that part of you in support. So now I'm going to make you uncomfortable for a little bit and demand clarity. What are you really asking? Okay. Because that's the context for this question that's far more important than the answer. You see, it's far more impactful for you to have to struggle through vagueness and get clear. And then my answer might just be like brown rice, and that would be fine because you will have gotten a clear question. (laughs) The answer doesn't matter anymore. So what's the question? How do you handle? I don't, I don't know, Joseph. I'm yeah, sure you don't know, right? So notice, <laughs> so here's the, here, yeah, and I'm glad you're laughing about this. That's, that's good. So notice how you, uh, how you allow yourself to ask, to, to express from a lack of clarity. There's the, the dynamic is there's sort of like, well, there's some question here. Let me just roll it out. Instead of doing the focusing work of what really is the question? What do I really want to know? Because what's the impact of asking an as of yet unformed question? An informed answer, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or or an answer that may or may not be what you're looking for. Which is great if you want what? What does it all produce in the end? Confusion. Ah, yes. (laughs) You see? You get to stay confused. You come from confusion. And confusion doesn't have to be unclear. So I should be more specific. You come from uh, unexamined, unwrestled with confusion. Because confusion can be very specific. It can be like, I'm really confused about the difference between helium and hydrogen. That's very specific confusion, right? 
what is the difference? I'm confused. Oh, well, the difference is one proton, I believe. Oh, okay. That's clear. Right. But if the confusion gets to ask the question, I had a, uh, uh, I never forget. And I just realized why it bothered me so much uh, in high school. This was 1990, 1990. In 1990, I was in a chemistry class in high school. And there was this one kid who would always say, this is glass. I'm confused. She'd be teaching stuff, you know, 10 minutes of teaching this and that and this and protons and hydrogen and helium, whatever. And he'd go, Mrs. Glass, I'm confused. And there would be this kind of energy sink in the room. And she started to get annoyed with him a little bit. She'd be like, well, what are you confused about? Because he just became the confusion. I'm confused. And so that puts the onus on the other person, the teacher in that case, to go to work to figure out what the confusion is. Now, sometimes that's the best someone can do. And that's fine. But just to notice the, that there's a responsibility there not being taken. Like, well, what is the confusion? Well, when you said X, Y, and Z, I didn't understand what that meant. Okay. That's something we can work with. Or I don't understand the difference between helium and hydrogen. Okay. That's, that's, that's useful. So that's part of uh, something you can work on. It's a clear thinking thing, right? When you notice, so what we're talking about here, what Rebecca has identified an aspect of her that enjoys being confused. And so now we're looking at, okay, how do you do that? How does that show up? Well, asking sort of vague questions is one way of doing that. Because the vague question is an expression of confusion that will retain the confusion rather than a hunger to resolve the confusion. The hunger and the curiosity to resolve confusion, that's what resolves confusion, not just the expression of it. See what I mean? Thank you. That's really helpful. You're so welcome. That was very clear. (laughs) And from a management perspective and mentoring, anything really, any kind of listening, I want to look sideways at what I just did with Rebecca there. Because it's one of the differences between management and supervision is that supervisors listen to the content of what people say. And they address the content. Okay, the person asks the question. Well, let me answer the question as best I can, a supervisor would say. But a manager looks also at the context. How did they ask the question? Why are they asking that particular question? Have they asked that question before? What's the timing of that question? Is there any information in that? What's the place in themselves they're asking that question from? Are they really asking a question or are they making a statement that they want confirmation about? For example, that's one of the most interesting ones. It's the distinction of a question versus a conclusion in process. Real question, when someone asks a real question, they're open to any possible answer. But a lot of times when people ask questions, and this was not the case for you, Rebecca, but a lot of times when people ask questions, what they're doing is they're, they've already decided what the answer is and they're just trying to get your confirmation of it. And you can hear that. And that's a really great example of a question that you absolutely should not answer. 
I learned that from a really powerful teacher once. I'll never forget the moment. First, I forget. I wish I could remember what the question was. They asked a question and the teacher said, I'd love to answer that question, but it wasn't actually a question. Person goes, what do you mean? Now I really want to know. She said, no, you've already decided what the answer is. That was a conclusion in process. And what happens when you do that is you hold up a mirror. Because people will manipulate you with their questions. And this is often how uh, what employees will do with managers to avoid all sorts of stuff. Actually looking in the mirror, being vulnerable, not knowing. You know, sometimes there's a question behind the question. And you don't have to figure any of this out. You just have to listen really well. And what does listening really well mean? Well, one thing is be extremely literal. Like really listen to what the person says. Like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Well, you know, like it's common in, in couple, coupledom in, in intimate relationships where people dance around actually expressing what they need. And so they'll ask questions that are not, that, that don't really express what's going on in them. You know, I'm trying, like, um, you know, like, so when you agreed for us to have dinner with, uh, you know, Frank and Joanne, you know, what was it you were thinking about that? And you can feel that underneath that is a judgment of, I really wish you'd consulted with me before you agreed to that. Right. But if you get hooked by that question and you just innocently answer the content, well, I was thinking it might be fun, you know, to get together. We haven't seen them in a while. Now you've gone down basically a road that is fantasy because now you're talking about a conversation that is not actually the conversation, you see. And so you can, if you start to pay attention to this, you can get so sensitive to it that you just feel it. You just feel the lie in the question. And it, it, sometimes it's in the tone of what they say. It's just, it's just right there. Just listen. I mean, if you just start with the premise that sometimes, I mean, sometimes, if you start with the premise that most of the time, don't, people don't actually say what they mean or that that's often the case, you just listen through that lens, then you're automatically in context so that anytime anybody says something, you're listening for, is that what they really mean? Rather than living in the delusion, well, of course people say what they mean. Right? And this is something most people do. Like when you listen to a politician, most of the time a politician is not actually saying what they really mean. They're saying what will get them reelected or what will assuage the audience or what will make them look good. Right? Probably now more than ever before. Right? All you, you watch the, the end of the, uh, the, the Democratic uh, primary debates. I mean, that's only what was going on, really, 99% of the time. The answers to questions, it's like, here's the question. And then the answer is, this is the thing I'm going to say instead of answering the question that will make me look really electable. And then it's like, okay, thank you. Next question. And just look at how many people are think that they're actually answering the question. Like one that was, day, that's really frustrating when you watch those because <laughs> you want someone to come back and say, 
can you please be specific about what you want from that? Or yes, you know, and and they and that's not the format, unfortunately. Yeah, it is to make them look really good, right? It's it's structurally inhibited by the format. Exactly. You know, each person ends up having like you know six minutes. Or, you know, given how many candidates there were, it's the whole thing is structured. The, the the entire agreement, really, in one way, is for people to not talk about what they really mean, even if they wanted to. The structure of the thing makes it very difficult. So it becomes you know just a, a marketing fest. You know, kind of like who can get in the the most compelling one-liners that will sound good in the four-second sound bites on the news that night. And that's the world we live in. And there's nothing wrong with the skill of being able to do that. Sometimes you need to look good. Sometimes you need to assuage people, whatever. But let's use that sparingly and when it's actually called for. So in the world of where I'd say now with the rise of social media, we're looking good and saying things that sound good, but are not necessarily substantive is greater than it ever has been in the history of human consciousness. If the only thing you, if the only skill you developed in your life was being able to really listen for what people were actually saying, you might not need to develop much else. It's probably about 60% of what I do when I work with people one-on-one. I just listen for what actually is going on because most of what they say is not it. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.